Hey guys, we have a new giveaway this week. Thanks to our partner, Beta, we will be giving away the Luxum Weighted Blanket. Did you know that it's scientifically proven that weighted blankets can cause chemical changes in your body to help you relax and sleep better? By increasing serotonin and melatonin, the Luxum Weighted Blanket helps you sleep better and gives you enhanced mood. It also decreases cortisol levels, which helps to reduce stress and anxiety. We're giving away five of these weighted blankets this week to our listeners. All you have to do is enter the giveaway at www.mission.org slash giveaway, and we will be giving away five of these to our lucky listeners. Welcome to Mission Daily. Today we have a special episode. As part one of a two-part series, Ian sits down with philanthropy and tech leaders to discuss why digital technology is critical for nonprofits to make a greater impact. At the roundtable, we are joined by Aaron Botto-Felter, Executive Director of Okta for Good, Jane Messick, Senior Director of Microsoft Philanthropies, Brian Breckenridge, Executive Director of Box.org, and Peggy Duvet, Senior Director of Social Impact at Oracle NetSuite. On this part one episode, the group dives deep into the importance of nonprofits speeding up their digital transformation so that they may become more effective and deliver more impact into the future. Welcome to Mission Daily. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org, and we have in studio quite the roundtable for our listeners. So excited to share this. We're going to be talking about philanthropy and tech and what tech leaders can do and what they are doing now. We're going to do a little around the horn, introduce everybody for our listeners. Who wants to go first? Um, I'm Jane Messick. I'm a senior director of Microsoft Philanthropies. I lead our uh, tech for social impact philanthropy across nonprofits and UN. Awesome. Thanks, Jane. Brian, you're next. Brian Breckenridge, executive director of an embedded social enterprise at Box Inc. called Box.org. Aaron? Aaron Baudo-Felter. I lead Okta for Good, which is the social impact arm of Okta. And Peggy. Peggy DeWitt, Senior Director of at Oracle NetSuite Social Impact, and I lead uh, Social Impact at Oracle NetSuite. I want to start out by recognizing that NetHope is kind of what brought us all. It's the common thread that brought us together today. Brian, could you share more about NetHope and uh, and how you got involved in the first place? Yeah, NetHope's probably 16 or 17 years old. Got started on a kitchen table here in Silicon Valley with Cisco and Microsoft execs and a few folks that said it's probably time for Silicon Valley to really team up more with the NGO world. As a, as a newly inbound executive director that helped found Box.org, we realized about six years ago that NetHope was a tremendous partner for us to, uh, to start to have an impact on the way that the world's largest NGOs, which move about 60% of the aid around the world that are members of NetHope, would be a great partner for us and help us kind of drive value to their members. So we started our, our kinship with them about six years ago. And so what is the Center for Digital Nonprofit? I don't know if, Aaron, you want to take that. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, as Brian said, NetHope had been doing what it was doing for a long time. In almost 20 years, they really sat at the intersection of global NGOs, Um, doing very important work in very hard-to-reach places, and the tech sector with the tools and the expertise, the technology to help accelerate that work. The challenge is you really need an intermediary that's going to translate in both directions for that work to be effective, and that's really what NetHope had done for a long time. Um, What they realized a few years ago doing that work, um, doing things like bringing connectivity to the last mile of where humanitarian aid needed to get delivered, working in disaster response to set up Wi-Fi and power, what they, what they learned in all of that work was that 
the NGO sector more broadly was falling behind yeah. when it comes to technology. Um, and the gap was getting greater and greater. And it was of huge risk to the world, quite frankly, when you think about the fact that, uh, as Brian said, 60% of the world's aid is delivered by the 57 or so Net Hope member NGOs, organizations like Oxfam, UNICEF, Save the Children. So they decided that it was time to take a different approach um, and uh, came up with what is now called the Center for the Digital Nonprofit, which is um, a new effort that still works at that intersection of the tech sector and NGO sector, but is really focused on long-term digital transformation for nonprofits and for NGOs to accelerate their use of technology and accelerate their missions. So we all at this table have jumped on as partners of that effort because, you know, for, for each of us, I think we believe very strongly that that is tremendously important and very aligned with where we believe we can help. It's the the classic adage that every company is a technology company now. And kind of to take that further, it's like every NGO is now a technology Absolutely. Mm -hmm. company. There's no doubt and, about that. And yeah. if you don't kind of steer into that, then uh, it's not going to be great for, for everyone in the world, quite literally. Jane, any thoughts? Yeah, no, I think um, jumping on what Aaron said is that uh, the creation of the Center of Digital, non, um, Digital Nonprofit um, really leapfrogged what what NetHope was doing. You know, they were they were that bridge to bring technology and and processes and, and efficiencies to these large NGOs. Um, and the CDN really proactively changed that strategy to focus broadly on digital transformation and focus on the people, the processes, and the technology, as well as putting the beneficiary or their client at the center of that. And I think that was a big transformation in NetHope, as well as what brought us together in terms of how do we drive greater social impact, not just, you know, helping printers work at these nonprofits, yeah. but really transform how these organizations are supporting their beneficiaries and the reach they can have and the impact they can have. And Peggy, what are some of those success stories that we've seen kind of so far? Well, I think for the sector as a whole, and I think you guys would agree, is um, we've learned as leaders in our own organizations, you know, we, we represent big tech companies that have leading practices that help you know, a nonprofit use technology for social change. But I think what this consortium and collaboration has brought us is really this more collaborative approach, which is more bottom up, mm -hmm. which is, yes, we have leading practices and we know what works best. But we also know that when we're on the ground and we understand what people do, this is where we truly drive change and accelerate that the missions of all those orgs. So I think that's the, the biggest impact we've had so far. And there's so much ahead of us. But I, I think I'm pretty proud. We we had the chance to join some of um, the regional gathering through NetHope. And it was amazing to see, like, locally how, you know, you have that global vision, but yet you have to localize it locally to make it happen. And they're truly making that happen. I would just say that that as the Center for the Digital Nonprofit starts to to further mature and actualize in its programming approach, I, I really admire that it took a very academic approach to study the industry, to help those mm -hmm. 60 mm -hmm. members plot where they were in their digital transformation with really clear terms in mm -hmm. the people, process, and technology domains, and then to, to drive some programming and, and very consultative uh, work you know, past that, keeping not only the beneficiary of those 60 organizations, but truly the beneficiary on the receiving end of their programs on the ground. Uh, um, to have that consciousness so the beneficiary was actually a step past uh, the NGO, but actually the people they're serving was really great. So that academic approach to then be followed by action was, for me, 
uh, getting at the systemic challenge of the NGOs being held back versus just kind of out there solving symptoms. They're really trying to make a systemic and thus scalable approach that a lot of other companies can come in on. Right. Yeah. And, and not just and not just their members, not just the 57 members, but to take the learnings and the tools and, and the assessments and all of that and make that broadly available to the sector. I think Which could be a five key. million organization. Exactly. Benefit, so right? the scale of impact that NetHope can have through the center is, is pretty exponential. I, I would add on that as well. I completely agree that the the scale and the impact is vast and is really exciting. I also think that something unique um, to NetHope and other intermediaries like them is that because it's a community, because it's a community sitting at the center of different sectors, um, it affords us tremendous opportunities to build relationships and to learn with individual organizations. Um, I got to actually uh, go to Uganda earlier this year as a guest of NetHope and tour some of the work and see some of the work that was being done in uh, refugee camps in northern Uganda and you know, aid being delivered by NetHope organizations. I got to actually see Octa's technology being used on the outskirts of a refugee camp wow. by one of our nonprofit customers. And when you take that back into your organization mm -hmm. and you share that and you show the picture of the Octa you know, login page in yeah. Uganda... Um, it does something to really communicate the impact of what we're doing and what it can do. Um, and and again, I think working through collaborations and through these relationship-based kinds of partnerships is a huge opportunity to do more of that and to feed more of that back into our companies and ultimately inv invest more in this work. Tangibly, the, the technology is becoming more interoperable. And so for the programming that we have and leveraging these assets of big tech, or mid-sized growing tech or small tech that's growing toward the needs of the sector in a credible way is really exciting to see. It's funny. We, um, with our network of shows, we reach, you know, over 130 countries and, um, and we get feedback from people all the time. And one of the things that's so interesting is how the consumer of technology is going to remain like consistent, right? It's going to be onward and upward and like that, the digital expectation, um, you know, the people who are listening uh, to podcasts, like however they can do them, for example, and then just be able to communicate with us in real time, you know, and send a, like we did a, you know, we did a live episode and we had people from like all these, all these countries, you know, sharing, oh, hey, this is how, you know, this stuff has helped. And I think, you know, from the technology standpoint, I think sometimes leaders might forget that the people want technology on the grounds, but if the organization that's supporting to bring water, whatever it is, don't have equivalent technology uh, or better technology, then you know, you're just going to be less operational. And really all these organizations need to go through a digital transformation of some kind. Everyone is going through one. It's obviously a buzzword. I'm curious, what do these digital transformations look like for NGOs? Like, is there kind of like a before and after kind of picture here of, of what's going on? Uh, what we've noticed with Oracle Netsuit, and we just had a report that came out um, yesterday on connecting dollars to, outcome, to outcomes, is whether you're helping the tiny charities uh, that help, you know, orphanage in, in the Philippines or the World Vision, which is a NetHope member and also a nonprofit um, Netsuit customer, is when they start being able to um, present the outcome of that technology and the impact to the leadership, then there's more investment and then you can truly accelerate impact. I think what we've seen through our reports is leaders, uh, you know, in nonprofits uh, see the value 
of measuring outcome to impact, but the problem is they're not equipped. I think we've noticed it was 32% are not equipped to uh, to basically drive that. Wow. Um, so I think as you think of digital transformation, and I'm talking literally, literally small to big. I used to be an executive director of a tiny nonprofit in the Bay Area. It was $2 million. Uh, but, you know, having a you know an accounting system or having a CRM was still needed to be able to track and measure. So that transparency needed to drive decision-making as well. I mean, can you imagine if Sand Hill Row here, just a few streets from us, didn't have visibility into the impact that their investor or angel dollars were having on the enterprises that they were helping scale? And so the NGO community now able to better articulate through technology with in a transparent way what's happening in their work and what impact is in fact being had is a vital part of that getting the the capacity and the support that they need from from folks like us and frankly it's it's organizations that have brought us together in a really like radically collaborative way with this this coalition and this group to not assume that from Redmond or from Silicon Valley we know what's needed by that beneficiary being served by that NGO on the ground and so to again have that perspective and get this lens that makes the solutions to get that water to that place again that you were talking about is done in a credible way, but not done from the ivory tower perspective that it should just be easy. Yeah, uh, and then and that also then ties back to the transparency of how did that happen? How did that water and that program get maybe more efficient or maybe more effective? And then how is that then communicated back to the funder to then scale that program? It's interesting. So I I was in the in worked for the government for a long time in the military and. Uh, and I think I don't actually know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure Box is now uh, working with the U.S. Army. So we are, yeah, right. Uh, I thought so, but it's one of those things where, like, you take something like cloud storage, like collaboration and security, and all those kind of like important facets. You look at something like that where it's like, if you're an NGO using pen and paper, like you have no hope to be able to show the impact that you're really doing, prove the things that you are doing on the ground. Like you just have no, you know, you have no opportunity to Perfect do that. example. In Cuadavar, the International Rescue Committee has a number of offices doing economic development work in the field. And they had reams and rooms and buildings full of paper mm-hmm. for their invoices that their funders required they see. So in a project that they pursued, they digitized that that paperwork, which again, were just invoices to prove to the funder that they were in fact implementing programs and utilizing uh, the money for the right thing, as they digitized that, not only was the visibility uh, faster for what was happening in the in the in that invoicing area to get more funding, but the program itself became more efficient between New York and Cordovar and the other four places that needed to communicate. So these stories are very real, accelerating impact, accelerating the ability for the sector to get more support to do more of what it does best. And I think I would add to that too that, you know, again, I was I was uploading paper documents for the US Army in 2013. Like, this isn't 100 years ago, right? Like, this is like now. This is essentially very recently. And the U.S. Army has quite a bit more money than the average NGO. And so, and it's things like that that I think people kind of just forget. You know, you take, for example, we've had a bunch of your CIOs on our uh, IT Visionary show um, and how brilliantly smart a lot of these, like, IT leaders and technologists are in large companies. The average NGO NGO doesn't have a CIO that is, you know, leading digital transformation, someone that actually owns that. I'm curious, like, how do, how do we allow or create a situation where if you don't have that type of headcount, if you don't have those type of leaders on the ground necessarily to do a digital transformation, how do we kind of like approximate that sort of thing? Or, you know, like cities having CIOs is a new thing, for example. I mean, this kind of, it's like so obvious now in retrospect, but I'm just curious, like, what are you all seeing on the ground? I would say a couple of things on what, what we're seeing. Um, 
The first is that, again, looking at intermediaries like NetHope, other organizations like TechSoup that sit at the center of tech and, uh, and nonprofit are doing a lot of work to try and solve that issue, to try and gather the insights, to try, try and pilot things with organizations that do have CIOs, right, that can invest and that can share what they know um, to benefit others. That's absolutely a vision of what NetHope is trying to do. And TechSoup is another one doing that for, at a much larger scale. They they have over a million nonprofits around the world that are that are members of TechSoup. So I think that's one thing. I think intermediaries are important. I think investing in intermediaries is important. It's, Absolutely. it's basically yeah. the centerpiece mm-hmm. of, of Octa's philanthropic strategy. And I mean, Jane, as well. Jane has yep. been our guru For on this. So, 20 I mean, something years. And, what, and so sorry, important. what do you mean by intermediaries? The way I would describe it is ecosystems that sit at the intersection of, of in this case, nonprofits and technology. So instead of an organization or company making grants one by one to organizations to maybe help them with their technology. We can make one grant to an organization that has the leverage and the reach and the network to serve, in NetHope's case, 57, in TechSoup's case, over a million. Yeah. And have an outsized impact, hopefully, on, on what we're able to you know, drive to those organizations. And, and recognizing that, I mean, digital transformation is a journey, right? Yeah, and it totally. starts in different places for different organizations. Small guys are really just trying to get stable and secure systems and platforms, you know, and then you move and it's, it's not something you leapfrog, even though cloud is amazing, has great opportunity in the sector. Uh, you still have this journey. And so how do you help folks in this journey? Nonprofits are still trying to utilize technology that was built for enterprise for-profit companies totally. versus, mm-hmm. you know, things that were built for the nonprofits themselves or, or, or helping bridge that. Um, and then they don't have the capacity. Even the large uh, nonprofits, the enterprise, enterprise nonprofits, are not well funded. And we could talk about maybe the funding issue and the yeah. overhead yes. issue there. Yes. Um, and then the small nonprofits don't have IT staff. They have the accidental techie. It's the person who's its closest to the printer, is or the social media person is their technologist. <laughs> so recognizing that investing in these intermediaries that can at scale support organizations is super super important. Um, and for us to also go in depth with some of our strategic partners is important as well and, and, I, and showcase. I would just throw in that the, that the nonprofit technology enterprise network, also about 300 mm-hmm. different technologies are surrounding the, the many hundreds of thousands of organizations that their content reaches is another intermediary for your listeners to check out as well. Ian, these are, these are all very well proven with NetHope, TechSoup, and N10 organizations that have, have helped to multiply the impact of our programs as a capacity building group you know, in the tech sector dramatically. I would just add on the, the the other dimension. So making philanthropic investments in these ecosystems is important, but it's also like there's a lot we can each do within our own companies to address the issue of nonprofit tech capacity, right? So all of us donate and discount our technologies for nonprofits in some way. Um, that helps tremendously just cross some of those barriers of, of mm-hmm. cost, right? And justification. Another, I think probably more important way we can help is to get our employees and our in-house mm-hmm. expertise sort of wrapped around these organizations. And I was going to actually turn it to Peggy because they do something absolutely amazing mm-hmm. in this area. Yeah. And, and and I'll start by, I was on the other side running a charity and I can tell you overwhelming it was when people come to say, use that free technology, use that one. Because my board was very techy from the Bay Area. Yeah. I'm like, ah, we don't have time. <laughs> um, so what was very appealing for me with Oracle NetSuite is they intentionally from day one, from the moment NetSuite was uh, and at this inception with Evan Goldberg, the founder, is it was about building the capacity. And it's it's about helping the sector as a whole. So obviously, yes, we care about our technology and we want our technology to drive change and help 
a nonprofit and social enterprise, accelerate the mission. But how do we build capacity to those orgs? And how do you leverage your assets? So when we think of assets, and all of you agree, right? We think of our technology, we think of our people, and we think about our knowledge. So we spend a lot of effort through our suite pro bono and suite capacity programs in our hands, where we match our employees with our charities to basically learn about the technology. And we've also pushed that even more to, well, it's all, all business functions. We have marketing employees that know about marketing and can help. So it goes back to also what brings us to the table is I love the, what you said, Brian, about um, enabling capacity. That's really what we spend a lot of our efforts, right? We enable our employees to give back. Yeah, and I would say, Peggy, to your point there, mental model-wise, like you look at the assets of a, of, a, of a corporation and specifically a technology corporation, their superpower is typically their platform or their technology or their suite of technology and their people. But then there's also the institutional assets like office space, like brand influence. I mean, you can imagine- Voice, if, right? Yeah, voice, exactly right. If, if we're able to elevate organizations doing important work so that others can jump on board, we're winning. And I would say also that for- the mental model of the other asset of a company being their customers and the admins of their technology, you can imagine what unleashing that can mean as well. So people that are, you know, raving fans about our unique technologies, or frankly, have already put together the four technologies represented in this podcast, to have those customers and the admins of those teams in our customer base uh, against these challenges that are out there that technology can help solve or build capacity is also important. So we can't, can't forget that asset. You know, like, so for example, we're uh, mission is a small company, but, um, like we're part of the Salesforce one, one, one program. Like we, we, from the, essentially from the founding of the company did that. I think that there's a lot of companies out there, big and small that want to figure out a way to do something, but they're kind of in that, like, what should I be doing? And then if they're a big company and they are maybe doing something, they're like, are we doing the right stuff? Are we doing the wrong stuff? You know, are we kind of swimming in circles? So I'm curious, you know, from a funding perspective for the companies that are trying to make sure that their, you know, dollars or are tracked, that they have impact, um, that it's like, you know, authentic to the, to the organization to do, you know, certain things, you know, if you're WAG, for example, you know, you're going to be working a lot of, of, you know, uh, we, we interviewed them talking a lot about what they do for SBCA and stuff like that. I'm curious, like when it comes to organizations that are thinking about, uh, how can they do more? Like what, what are some best practices there? I'll start by saying, I think you hit it on the head. Like the, it has to be, it has to be so tightly aligned to your business strategy that no one would ever say, oh, gosh, why are they doing that? Or what's the impact of that? Or is that really what they should be doing with those resources? So if you're at the beginning of the journey, it's easier in some ways, right? Really look at where your company is and where it's going, what your core assets are, what makes you unique. Sometimes it's your technology. Sometimes it's your employees. Sometimes it's the space you work in. Sometimes it's the geography you're in. Like It could be any of those things. But I think it has to start with that. And it has to really be an extension of your company's mission. One of the brilliant things, like, for example, uh, Bank of America does at B, uh, Bank of America Stadium in in Charlotte is that all of their ads are around, like, veteran employees, right? It's like they could do anything with that ad space, but it's all to highlight the military veterans that work at the company because they have a really strong, you know, veteran presence. It's things like that where it's like, I think the smart companies kind of, like, make one plus one equal three mm -hmm. sort of mm -hmm. thing where, Absolutely. you know, to your point, if you have a... You know, if you have physical locations, if you have, let's say, a thousand physical locations, if you're, you know, whatever, like a 7-Eleven or something like that, for example, like thinking about how much real estate 
Oh, pardon the pun, but like digital real <laughs> estate that you have, uh, but also physical real estate that you could, you know, use those things to your advantage. No, and that's a great point. And I think what Aaron, jumping off what Aaron said is, is it's so important to start with that focus and be focused. Trying to be everything to everybody is not necessarily a recipe for success. Yes, you can have breadth programming. And I think we all here on the table have breadth programming that nonprofits can come get software from Microsoft yeah. anytime. But when you do your depth where you're aligning your key assets of your cash, your tech, your expertise, your voice, you want to do that in a way that's really focused and can drive significant impact because that's where you start getting benefit back to the company in terms of being having these great human stories, showcasing your technology in big ways. So you, you know, focus when you go depth. And if you could do breadth, that's that's also Pretty important. Yeah, and I think more and more you're seeing these programs that are that are broad and deep go into areas that that are are mapped well not just to the capacity of an organization but where its passion lies. And when those intersect in with headlines, you start to see even more energy around these things. If they're topics that people are in fact thinking about and talking about, we talk a lot about about the stakeholders of the embedded social enterprise box.org being threefold. It's communities first. We serve their win uh, through nonprofit enablement first. Second is the, the employees that we're transforming to be involved in these engagements. And third is, is the company itself and the benefit that it gets. But we really do take those three stakeholders. And I would just say quickly that the pledge 1% uh, movement that you'd suggested is now 9,000 organizations yes. strong. And it's becoming a community of practice more than just a kind of a a flyby thing. And there's many of us who helped start that, that, that movement a long time ago that knew that uh, a group of builders that kind of put that where it is need to teach others so that people can get to this work a lot sooner than profitability or a lot sooner than their 50th employee, for example, or the other uh, excuses that, that founders make over and over. Well, it's also daunting, right? Like I remember having the conversation with Chad and Stephanie, my co-founders about this, about like, we have literally no money, so we can't give that, yeah. right? But <laughs> yeah. it's like, but, you know, like we're already doing certain things in the community or for us, you know, it was like our reach, right? It's like we're, you know, reaching like 3 million people a month. And so like there's things that we do have that we could, you know, put some capacity or put some organization around and be like, hey, let's just be a little bit more thoughtful about how we do it. And then you can kind of figure out like one of the things that we did you know, there was a guy who was in the military was kind of like wrongfully convicted and didn't have money to pay for like legal fees. And uh, like something like that, where it's like, it was a hyper-targeted thing. We knew that we wanted to support this. It was a really cool cause. And, you know, we want to do that. Like another one, you know, we had a friend does this uh, special needs camp that they go into the Santa Cruz mountains and they need, you know, money to bring, you know, fly the moms out and, and the kids out from Chicago. And it's like, that was something like it's in our backyard. They could hang out in the studio, do some podcast stuff, whatever. And it's like right there, like those things that were like easy wins for us to get to as a super small organization, but we had to have kind of the the framework in place to be like, we know we want to make a difference and we don't know what opportunities are going to come our way, but we have like something that we can figure out around that stuff. So that's the key, I think, is is that it's the commitment that actually is the most important thing. Authentic commitment, mm -hmm. right? First, yeah. because you don't know all the things. It's overwhelming. This stuff gets really complicated really fast when you talk about donating software and you talk about setting up charitable vehicles and setting aside equity pre-IPO. Mm -hmm. Super complicated. But if you make that commitment as an organization and you embed it and your leadership from the very top speaks to it, it sends a signal and it gets sticky in the organizational yeah. culture. It becomes we, culture. We, right? we, yeah. we saw that at Okta. I mean, it's our founder, our co-founders 
you know, took the pledge and and boldly sort of stated that um, on stage in front of thousands of our customers and employees before it was kind of all figured out. Yeah. But we've built it over time, you know, systematically. Um, and we could have never predicted that we would have found NetHope or the Center for the Digital Nonprofit totally. or collaboration with these <laughs> folks. We didn't know at the time. Um, but that commitment, that signal is is so powerful. Yeah, we talked to what Freddie said just right over there. We talked about it when he was here in studio. You know, it's funny, though. I, it, it's an important point that it's like I think a lot of organizations don't necessarily know that or they might know this from a sales perspective, like wins beget wins. We always talk about that at, yes. at the mission is like, once you have a win, it's like, it's a lot easier to evangelize that within the team of like, hey, we actually did something. And it's like, we can do more of something if you all want to do more of something. And, and what, if you don't, then. It gets exciting, right? When the, the things that are motivating and inspiring the employees to go execute their mission, writing code or selling something or something else, but they know that there's there's an elevated purpose for making that that happen or making that task possible. So you can imagine if you're a B2C app, you work with another partner and add kind of like a roundup for good function in the checkout process. Totally. Yeah. So from the beginning of your engineering thinking, you could just say we could probably, once we start to get customers, raise millions of dollars through a simple roundup capability at the shopping cart. Or like even yesterday, our employees, most of which are skewing younger, uh, 550 of them donated an average of $50. We raised, you know, 20K plus bought uh, 2,000 backpacks, packed them during an all-hands meeting around the world. So again, it wasn't like we had 20K in philanthropic budget sitting around. People made that happen in a grassroots way, but it, they were inspired by the activity that was showcased by an employee in Atlanta who did that in his basement. Uh, he and his family put together yeah. 10 backpacks. Well, we did 3,000 yesterday around the world, and it was really kind of um, a cultural rally for the company globally on something that, again, uh, didn't have budget assigned at the beginning of the year so that we can't do that was never even something we we entertained. If I could add something to your audience here is I think you are expressing the fact that remember we are all community like our companies, our employees, it's a community of employees. Mm -hmm. In our case, communities are partners, our customers, our employees. Uh, sometimes I think we had fall by trying to lead, but just by listening and letting enabling them to do, um, you know, just bringing communities together, they'll tell you what they want and they'll make it happen. And you talk about that quick queen, I'll talk about story, you know, just get that one story that's empowering and then it's a, it's a rolling effect. When you feel good, you want others to feel good. And also I was thinking about some of them, if I had known when I started or when I joined Oracle NetSuite is really, you know, like you said, your line around the, the strategy was the mission and the business, right? Also the metrics. Mm -hmm. I found it very powerful, you know, as we look at the social impact metrics to align them with the business. Because it's like, you know, if you go, if I go to Quebec and speak my French from France, it's a little different. But if I'm going to start using the local language, they'll pay attention to me. So it's very similar. So I think as I reflect on what we're talking about here on this table, it's about aligning with the mission and the strategy, but also aligning metrics and enabling others. Because a lot of the work is we empower them. Just to, to jump off the, the beginning journey and the focus in, in some of the models that we hear and, and you'll talk to later is, is how do you also create the social business model to support the broader nonprofit community itself? So, um, and this is rethinking that we did a couple of years ago is that we found, okay, nonprofits are using technology that's not made for them. They don't have the capacity and they need to be treated like world-class customers that like they are. And philanthropy can only go so far. We love philanthropy, but it can only go so far. So what we did is that's where Tech for Social Impact was actually formed to, to think through that business model where you can bring your 
your donations, your capacity building programs, along with right-sized and, and appropriate discounting and licensing models for nonprofits, solutions built and made for nonprofits, and how do you rally more services and capacity building from your our corporate partners to deliver that. So that's what we brought together. And, and it's also done in a social business model way where the, the funding, once it gets above a contribution margin, that money is ring-fenced to be reinvested into those solutions and reinvested into our philanthropy. So it's it's sustainable, it's long-term, and it's scalable. Um, and in two years, it's been really, really successful. Our dream is that this model actually gets into the whole company and becomes a part of what every company business tries to do, not just isolated in a nonprofit segment. But for now, we've seen tremendous um, growth in, in the impact that, that we can have and our partners can have through a, a model like this. And maybe you guys can speak to your no, model No, for sure. Well. I very intentionally introduced myself as an as a executive director of an embedded social enterprise because we very much mm-hmm. are that. And so to operate under the chief operating officer and the go-to-market part of the company that has influence over product and has influence over customer satisfaction and, and the metrics that make customers successful is, is very much by design. And then when, when nonprofits are able to make a very heavily discounted investment in what we do as our core competency, we're going to redirect a good percentage of what they contribute to us back into these capacity building programs. Call it a virtuous, like a growing virtuous circle yeah. mm-hmm. of investment. And so just to out of the gate, realize that nonprofits should in fact be considered customers that you learn from and that you are ready to serve and support is a very easy decision to make early, especially when it's a 5 million organization, multi-trillion dollar segment in the world. Make no mistake, like commercial purpose and community purpose or community benefit or mission are being woven more closely together than ever before. And as that new generation way of embedding social impact into a business model instead of an afterthought, like in an HR department or philanthropy department or something down the hall that never really talks to the business, you're really doing, I think, a disservice to scale of the impact we can have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think right that on. the scale piece is really critical. And this is where, like, why this, you know, round table is, is technology leader philanthropy and, and not the other thing. And not that, not that non-technology organizations can't do this stuff too, but at the end of the day, like, Technology allows the stuff to scale and to create, you know, a virtuous flywheel like you were talking about. And an example, Ian, is we had 200 nonprofits working with Box five years ago. We have almost 9,000 now. So you speak to scale. Any founder in the world that just realizes that she should be conscious of the needs of the nonprofit sector can see a very healthy break-even or better customer base emerge. And then you can tie employees into that. We've we've gone from about 90,000 to close to 200,000 nonprofit. Yeah, that scale. That's what I hope your listeners creating. solutions and and standards and templates and common data models that you can put out for the open. You can open source these things that really help build um, a, a community and, and sector using technology in a much more uh, rapid pace. I mean, Jane's technology competes with, with all of us, right? We all compete <laughs> against each other, but, but we actually, we really do elevate community above those competitive pressures and influences every chance we get. Yes. And that's a unique, yeah. it's not just unique to NGO, but and, I think it's unique to the reality the that the nonprofits use all of our stuff all at the same that's time, right? Yeah. right? So and all they want is for us to make it work better for right. them. That's, right. that's all they want. Exactly. Yeah. To keep talking about the scale piece, one of the things that, um, we interviewed uh, for our podcast, Future Cities, uh, Marty Koistra, who was um, involved in Habitat for Humanity for a long time. But one of the things that was really interesting that I'd never thought of, it was very much like a pre-technology solution, right? Like get a bunch of amateurs to build houses for other people, right? 
But when the problem is, hey, I, and I forget the exact number, I think it was like we could, they could build like 96,000 houses a year or something like that. But the world net need for houses is like a million dollars a month or a million houses a month. And it's like, India alone needs more houses every day than Habitat could create in a year. And it's like those type of problems where it's like the opposite of a flywheel, where it's each individual thing is a totally new, unique thing, not something scalable. And I think that it's really like a shift, a paradigm shift of thinking about how we can support nonprofits going forward. Because at the end of the day, someone still needs the house, right? So that has to get built either way. But perhaps there's a more creative way of figuring all of those things out than, uh, and, and the other thing that he talked about was that if Habitat came to your community, it should have been a wake up for the people making the houses that we they even needed to do it. Like yeah, that was the right, thing. It right. was more yeah. about engaging the community mm-hmm. and building the house and be like, hey, maybe we need to take yeah. some steps. And that kind of thing was kind of ended up getting a little lost for him. Um, but I, I'm just curious, you know, from that kind of standpoint with with scale and the power of technology, what does this look like going forward? What do the next five and 10 years look like? So I think it. we spoke about the power of intermediaries earlier. And I think these the, the, the era of innovation challenge and community development uh, and showcase of innovative solutions that address needs is starting to become more vogue. And we're, we're really appreciative of that. You see tech-centered nonprofits start with technology at their core that's delivering their program, not just enabling technology that surrounds the processes, but actually starting with the technology solution. One degree comes to mind, like a Yelp for social services, right? So they don't have to hire the 7,500 uh, social workers to map people to solutions when a digital solution can, in fact, do you know some of that at scale. But when you see fastforward.org or the Full Circle Fund Tech Accelerator or Ladauto Sea Challenge that happens in the Vatican City in December, which we can't wait to be a part of, you're starting to harness the innovations of thousands of, of innovative business builders and scalers that then get introduced to the world that actually understands what's caused 70 million people to be displaced on the planet. And then solutions get especially inspiring. And then corporations can come in and, and really have a nice seat at the table with some funding and some voice and some reach and the customer inclusion. But again, these, these innovation models and challenges are very easy for companies to kind of play into and provide mentorship and some capital and some ideas and some of their, some of their IP that I think will help lead us in the next five or 10 years to some of the solutions that at scale get at these uh, sustainable development goals that by 2030 are still really steep to, to meet mm-hmm. in a multi-trillion dollar problem. So innovation is kind but, of what I, but I, I now would add to that. Like, this is not doom and gloom. Like, humanity is better off right now than we've ever been. Technology is solving millions of problems that we didn't know that we had. Like, I just think it's super exciting to think about, like, this is still whatever year. Uh, I mean, the combined years that the companies at this table have been around is still probably under 50, right? Or somewhere yeah. around there, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, you're looking at, like, even just in you know, years of being around, we're not even close to like what the the impact of this stuff could be. Makes me think I was having a conversation with a nonprofit leader that we work very closely with in San Francisco, does a lot of work on poverty and homelessness. And, you know, she was saying, look, technology has changed the way I get to work, has changed the way I order my food, has changed the way I shop for groceries and learn and all of these other things. Like, why can't we get 7,000 people off the streets at night in San Francisco? I have to believe we can and it was a very hopeful, positive, you know, thought around the power of technology. And I think that another way that we as leaders in the tech sector can start to get at these problems in a different way is that 
the reason we have, you know, Uber and Instacart and all these great technologies that have changed our lives is that somebody saw a problem in their lives and figured out a solution that they wish they had. And then they went and built it and they raised the, you know, the capital and they and they gathered the team and they and they built that. And so the more we can have the people who are experiencing the problems in our community in positions where they can generate the solutions and actually get the resources to go build them, which is why I think something like Fast Forward, as Brian mentioned, is a, an amazing nonprofit tech accelerator. 90% of their entrepreneurs are solving problems they've personally experienced in their lives. Like that's a great example. And we need more of that in our companies too, which speaks to how we hire and how we bring in talent. But I think that's a really critical piece of this. I'm going to give you a different angle, which is I had a nonprofit and I decided to close it because I felt like, unfortunately, in the nonprofit sector, there's too many of us. Mm -hmm. Duplication. So, duplication. So I, if I think, if I think looking forward five to 10 years, I want to challenge us to consolidate uh, instead of like, you know, fighting for funding and building our own brand. And then as founders, and I, I don't want to talk only about money, but expertise is we want to spend more resources and we're doing that right now, right? But accelerate that. Um, to enable the people on the ground because often they already have a solutions, right? And we tend, uh, you know, as tech vendors or tech partners, however we define ourselves, we sometimes tend to come and just go over. But we've been really trying hard at Oracle NetSuite to come and enable from the bottom up. Uh, but I think as a consortium of leaders, there's an opportunity to really increase capacity um, where the, it's needed. It's very hard when you're charity to get money for technology, by the way. I've tried to fundraise mm -hmm. for softwares. It is very hard. And I think that is an area, that overhead myth that, that Jane had touched yeah. on. I, I think it, it, it bears worthy of a few minutes of discussion here because you look at, at most corporate entities getting to spend 10 or 15% of their income or their revenue on innovation and technology to support their ability to scale and win and succeed. And in the nonprofit sector, it's very common to see 1% or perhaps less oh, yeah. devoted to innovation. Now, I don't think that technology is a save-all by any stretch, but if to, to, to Peggy's point, if that nonprofit does understand the solution, but they can't a, execute it, and tech could sometimes help with that. Sometimes we feel like we can do it all and we can't. Again, make that very clear. But we could possibly, with technology, tell the story of that solution that works and convene people to innovate on that and mm -hmm. then help that get to scale. But it's table stakes now. I think that that's part of the thing that I think like needs to be part of the broader narrative is like if you don't have – a CRM and you're, you know, a nonprofit, 100% you're not serving your uh, constituents in the right way. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it, there's pretty much, there's, you could not show me one single way. Like if you don't have some type of cloud storage, like number one, your files aren't secure. Number two, like people's personal data and PII is probably at risk. Like these things are like table stakes right, now. Right on. Yeah. And, and there's a disconnect there because um, it's seen as overhead. Funders traditionally don't fund overhead. Mm -hmm. um, they'll restrict their dollars to program only. There's this myth that if you spend a dollar on technology, you are not spending a dollar on saving that child's life, right? So, but yet it's critical to the operations, the efficiency, and the impact that you're going to drive. And we've did a study recently, and over 80% of donors and individual contributors believe that technology is is a non you know it's a yeah. it's a non-starter. You have to have it. Non-negotiable. Yeah, it's very quick but for yet funders to say no. Funding. Yeah, but yet exactly. it's not being funded. <laughs> yeah. So how do we change that cycle and be willing to fund technology as not as overhead, but a part of what you have to do in your programs? Yeah. And then how do you start using, once you have the technology, how do you start leveraging that data 
to make strategic mm-hmm. decisions, right? Because right? when we look at the impact measurement report, you know, people believe in it. Again, our leaders, 76% of our leaders mm-hmm. believe in it. But when it comes to personalizing it, it's not happening, right? Okay. Everything is silos, too many systems. And that goes to the scale issue. If, it, yeah. having, there's no, not really a lot of common data standards in the sector. So how do we get common data standards so we get common transparency and consistency um, that people can build off and, 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 and bring greater transparency to their donors and funders? There's no doubt. Like, everything is accelerating. Like, the demand to accelerate is is never been higher and to collaborate inside and outside a nonprofit is no different from that from a corporation mm-hmm. with its customer base they actually have two customers one helping on the funding side and one helping that they're helping on the other side and so it's that acceleration has the risk of leaving more nonprofits behind and i honestly think that corporate donors and other donors that influence corporate donors family foundations and so on should more and more think about investing in innovation and technology yeah. as a viable way of making philanthropic investments yeah. this is also about trust ultimately, right? I think that there there needs to be more trust between donors and the nonprofits that they're giving to. And um, it doesn't mean don't do your research and don't do your homework, but it means that if you know an organization, you trust their work, then you need to do everything you can as a funder and as a partner to empower them to make their own decisions about what's best because they know. And it seems like Bezos is doing that. I mean, not to to kind of bring up what may be a religious topic here, but in the end, it's just like (laughs) he is making donations that are less restricted than the traditional philanthropists ahead of him have. And maybe, again, some would say he's got more money than than you need to even worry about it because the numbers are so big. But he is, it does appear, even if, I mean, again, people could could question his methods and so on from time to time, but he is more trusting of the organizations that he's investing in early in his philanthropy career than than I've seen uh, in some ways. So that that I think does speak to it. And if the nonprofit organization is going to turn some of that less restricted dollars toward innovation to actually repeat and scale what they do against the problems they solve, there's, there's some hope in that. There's also a myth, I think, around, so you need the trust and then you need to allow them to fail. Yes. Charity Water had done an amazing, yeah, exactly, because we can't assume, I mean, as businesses, we fail, right? We've got to learn fast. However, we don't allow nonprofits to fail. So I think part of that trust when we invest is trust that they might fail, but we're going to allow them to fail fast so then they can innovate. Yeah, and and Scott Harrison, Charity Water, not only did his his business model kind of start to to plateau Mm -hmm. a little bit, but also the way that people supported Charity Water. They invented the birthday donations and so on. But now they have this notion of a sustaining subscriber to their mission and so on. So they're Mm -hmm. back on track and they're growing again. And and kudos to Scott and Sean and, and, and Anthony and the whole team there. That's innovation. They failed and now they've come back. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we could do about three more hours on this, but uh, we got to get out of here. Any final thoughts? Go around the horn. It's important to do more good together. And it's good to be in a studio with redwood trees outside the window here. It's nice. <laughs> exactly. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thanks, Ian. This has been fantastic. Really appreciate the time. I appreciate always getting together with my colleagues. Um, and, you know, I think I think a parting thought is, yes, we all compete, but this is where we come together and try to do more good together. And, and that it's fun. It's good work and um, it makes a difference. I think we need to walk the talk almost, right? So we obviously have to deliver in our own entities and and, uh, and drive success there. But I think there's such an opportunity to even scale more on what we do globally. So I feel energized. You know, we're learning from each other, which is the best way to uh, to drive change. Yeah, I asked Jane to be my mentor once and she said, we have to be each other's mentors. And I thought that was was pretty neat. I'll never forget that she said that that day. And, and uh, to get to be in this work with gurus who have been at this for decades when when uh, though we've been at it for a while, it's just it's an honor and it's cool to learn from from our peers. I would just end by saying that for those listening who are maybe inspired or thinking about things in a new way, I would say just start. Don't think too much anymore. Just start and build from there. 
Yeah, do some good. I love it. Thanks so much. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.